and it's a book series. We're going through the book of 1 John now, and we're titling this series, not the lesson today, but the, the entire series of 1 John, we're titling it For His Glory and For Our Benefit. And so the entire book of 1 John, every passage, and I've read it several times, every passage you will find something for His glory and for our benefit. And I believe that's how the, the Word of God sort of works. Everything in there is, is for God's glory ultimately, but everything that God draws us into is also for our benefit, and I think that's a beautiful relationship. So today we're going to continue our book study through the first, for the book of 1 John, and we're going to be looking at 1 John verses 5 to 10 today, if you have your Bibles. 1 John 5 to 10, the name of our lesson today will be called, God is Light, Therefore. God is Light, Therefore, before we get there, though, I'm going to give you some if-then statements. You guys know what that is? If this happens, then this happens, okay? And what I'm going to do is I have 10 if-then statements. And if you'll humor me, I would love some feedback from the audience. This could get a little crazy, unfortunately. But I'm going to give you an if, and I'd like you to respond with what you believe would be the then, okay? And we'll start off a little slow. That's okay. If there was no Facebook... What do you think? What would the then be? Peace? Peace? <laughs> Go back to MySpace? Who remembers MySpace? You guys remember that? MySpace? Good old MySpace. If there was no Facebook, we'd have no idea when anyone's birthday is. Think about it. Do you know when your friend's birthday is? Do you know when your cousin's birthday are? Everyone does? Do you know when Pastor Todd's birthday is? Yeah. But, but guess what? I'm not on Facebook. So if you want to know my birthday, you're going to have to do it the hard way. Ask plan, put it on your calendar, buy me a gift five days before. But if there was no Facebook, how would anyone know when anyone's birthday is? How about this one? If there was no fall in New England? Wow, that'd be sad, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's a grimace on everyone's face now. If there was no fall in New England, there'd be no tourists. Well, that's exactly what I thought. Everyone would leave us alone. Come on. Come on. That's clever. Everyone would leave us alone. Nobody on that one? Where's my editor? How about this? If there was no coffee? That's even a bigger grimace. If there was no coffee, well, if there was no coffee, Christians would be addicted to another brew. Thank you, Ray. Ray knows where I'm going back there. How about this one? If there was no hot weather? Good. Me and Phyllis. If there was no hot weather, I would just weirdly smile all the time. Because I don't like hot weather. Anyone else not like hot weather? Just me and Phyllis? All right, me and Cheryl. Okay, yes, I see that. I know, I'm one of those weird people, right? But I moved north because of that reason. Yes, I don't want hot weather. How about this one? If there were no clocks? What if there were no clocks? What would be the then? Big deal? <laughs> you wouldn't be late because there's nothing to hold you to, right? If there were no clocks, we'd have no way to get out of a conversation with anybody, right? That's what clocks are all about. It's going, oh, is it 11 already? I got to get going. I didn't realize it was 11. Well, where are you going to go, Pastor Todd? I don't know, but it's 11. I need to move. How about this one? If there was no indoor plumbing. I know, you can't, we don't want to get too crass here. But if there was no indoor plumbing, we'd all want to live at the top of the mountain. Yikes. Again, where's my editor on that one? How about this one? This one's all about men, okay? I have three of them in the same one, but it's all about men, okay? If there were no sports. 
<laughs> women cheer, but the men are not cheering. What's that? If there was no sports, I heard somebody say something. So why is that all about men? Okay, but, but listen, here's why. Here's why. If there was no sports, men would start wars in every country every year. We would kill each other. I believe. I, we, we have to do something with that aggression, with that competition. We have to. So sports are an, are an outlet for that. And they are for the women too. But if there was no texting, specifically for men, if there was no texting, men would never speak to each other outside of work and church. I honestly believe that. We'd never talk to each other. We're not going to call. Does any men really call each other? I don't call my friends. We text. What's going on, John? Yeah, right. Thank you, Ken. How about this one? If there was no Amazon.com, <laughs> men would never shop for anything ever again. I don't shop. I don't shop. I do all of my shopping online. All of it. Any other, anybody else? Primarily online only? Thank you. Yes, there's a couple. Shop only online. How about this one? If there was no Blackberry. Some of you are going, there is no Blackberry. What the heck is Blackberry? <laughs> there's no Blackberry the fruit. I'm talking about Blackberry the phone, okay? There still is Blackberry. But what if there wasn't? Well, then I would still be using carrier pigeons and singing telegrams. Imagine getting an email from me and a singing telegram. How awesome would that be? How about this one? If there was no icebreaker before the sermon? And one, one time there wasn't. But what if there was no icebreaker? Well, you'd still be in bed. Come on, that's not true, is it? That's right. And let, number, number 10, if there, was, if there were no moose... Where do you think I'm going with this one? If there were no moose, well, everything would be exactly the same as it is now. Because there are no moose. In fact, a couple of you have sent me pictures recently about, you know, seeing moose. And it, it's kind of the same thing when someone sees Sasquatch. There's a grainy something in the woods, and I'm like, I guess it's a moose. I, I can see a tree also, but if you want to believe it's a moose, it's a moose. I'm just teasing. There are moose somewhere. But uh, we're going to go somewhere like that today. I'm going I'm to ask you this question as well. What if there was no light of God? What if there was no light of God? We would, we would be in big trouble. We'd still be in the darkness. And that's exactly where we're going. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John 5. Excuse me, 1 John 2. Let's try that again. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. You guys have the notes. I need the notes. Where's the teacher's edition? 1 John 1, 5 to 10. And I've encouraged you through this series to do what every week? Wow, you guys are good. Read 1 John once a week. I think it'll take you about 15, 20 minutes to read through 1 John. It's five chapters. And that is my encouragement to you is read it every week. Now, you should be asking me something in return. Do you read it every week? Do you read it? Thank you, Peg. You hold me accountable. I read it this week, but hold me accountable. I should read it as well. Thank you. It's a really, really powerful book. It's, you're going to get a lot of truth out of it. You're going to see the themes pop up, and that's where we're going today as we talk about the light of God. So let's read the Word of God together. 1 John 5. Okay, work with me today. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. I'm seeing fives everywhere. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. John says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. The word of God. Our simple outline today is this. Number one, light began the world. Most of you will know that and be reminded of that. But light began the world. Number two, we're going to look at the equation that John gives us. There's an equation that pops out in this passage, and we'll discuss that. And number three, we are desperate for the light of God. We're desperate for that light. That's our outline that we're going to go to today. Let's start with this, because John does this. He uses what's called logical reasoning. Okay, He's going to give us a thesis statement, and that's verse 5. And after he gives that statement, he's going to base the next five verses upon that statement. And he's going to use logic. Logic. It's kind of how the brain functions together. It's like a big puzzle in your brain to put things together logically. And he's going to reason with us today. Based on that thesis statement that he gave us in verse 5, he's going to use logic and reasoning. He's going to use an equation to help us understand where he's going today. Now, any mathematicians out there? Anybody good at math? Anybody good at algebra? Is that an offer? We got nobody? <laughs> I, was good at, I was good at a couple subjects in school. I was good at algebra. And I was good at grammar and chemistry. I know why I was good at chemistry. I watched a lot of MacGyver. Um, I was good at grammar, and I was good at algebra, I believe, because it worked logically in my brain. I understood the concept. Now, don't think I was a very smart student, because I also almost failed geometry and lit. So it just depends, right? Sometimes you do really well at subjects, and sometimes you do very poorly in subject. But does anyone know the answer to this question? One. Does anyone else have a different answer? Nine. Nine? Okay, we got some different opinions here. Okay, well, I'm going to work it out for you because I'm trying to remember my algebra here. Well, what do we do first? Parentheses. Parentheses. So we add the one and the two, and we, of course, get three. What do we do next? Multiply the, the two and the three. Good job. And what do we come out with? Six. And then what do we do? Six divided by six is one. Oh, so is it not one? No. So you do, so it's two, six divided by two times. No. So. No. Nope. Oh my word, we have, this is going to get real. You know what, I don't even know. I, didn't, I did it the way I remember it, but if that's wrong, then so be it. Um, okay, we're, we're going to have to figure this out. I'll, I'll send you a lengthy email later with several videos, okay? And we'll figure this out together. But I think it's one. I did it the way that I was taught. If I'm wrong, blame my teachers. Okay, don't blame me. That's what they taught me. Anyways, John's going to give us something like that today. He's going to give us an equation. He's going to give us an equation, and he's going to start with logic. Now, I'm going to give you another logical statement. Read that. Let's read this together. Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away, and you have their shoes. <laughs> it's logical, right? If you criticize someone... Be a mile away with their shoes, and things will go a lot better. I love the logic there. It makes perfect logical sense. And you know the Word of God does that too? The Word of God is logical. Now, some of it, again, is beyond our thinking. I understand that, that we have to elevate our thinking sometimes to receive some of the hard truths that God gives us. So not all of it can fit into our tiny brains. But there is a lot of the Word of God that logically can be put together as well. And John is going to use that today to help us understand what he's saying. So here's the thesis statement. This thesis statement comes right out of verse 5, and this is what John says. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. Now, if you've you got to remember last week's lesson when we looked at the first four verses. John did not 
understand these things from hearsay. John understood them as an eyewitness. John said in verse chapter 1, He's, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he said, That's which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Well, notice what he just said. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. The very mouth of Jesus uttered this phrase to John. So John heard it as an eyewitness, a firsthand eyewitness that came right out of the mouth of Jesus. So this has an enormous weight as John is stating it. And this is the thesis statement that he's going to base his arguments on following these verses. So he says this, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That is John's thesis statement and that thesis statement came right out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. And that's where John's going today. He wants us to understand how important the light is in the relationship with God. I was able to find four things that God defines himself as. And there's probably more than this, but these are four prominent ones that come right out of the word of God where God describes himself as something. Number one, God is holy. God is unique. God is one of one. There's nothing like our God. There's no one to compare him to. He has no rivals. He has no equals. He is holy and righteous in all that he does. That's an enormous thing to understand about God because that sets him apart from every other being that you ever know. We also learn that God is love. Aren't you thankful for that one? God is love. God's relationship with us is based on love and tenderness, and I'm so thankful for that truth. The one we're going to learn today is God is light. And it also says in Hebrews 12 that God is a consuming fire. He's not someone you want to trifle with, okay? He's holy, he's love, he's light, and he's a consuming fire. Our God is one of one. There's no one who that can be said about. And notice it doesn't say God is loving or God is kind of like light. This phrase is important. Is. God is light. He is love. He is a consuming fire. And the first thing we want to study today is that light began the world. Light is the first thing that came into our world. And let's be reminded of that today because it says in Genesis 1 that the earth was without form and void. What does that mean when you read that? The earth was without form and void. Again, use logic. What was there? Nothing. If something is without form and void, there's nothing. Nothingness. And so picture our earth, our globe that we live upon. At the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing to behold, nothing to look at, and that's what Genesis teaches us. But then as soon as God came up on the scene, in verse 3 we read this, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called light, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So what's the first thing God created? Light. Light. Do you ever wonder why he created light first? Why did God create light first? Let's use logic again. Now, what's that? Thank you, Joel. It's logic. I mean, if we turn all the lights off in this room and, and darkened out the windows, it would be very, very miserable, very hard to manage anything at all. In fact, that's the answer to the question. Why did, not, why did God not create mankind first? Mankind is the apple of God's eye. He is the one that was created in the image of God. Why not create man first? Because this is what it looked like at the beginning. 
Nothing. And you take nothing and you put mankind there. Is that a good recipe? No, of course not, because we're in utter dark darkness. We can't manage at all. Darkness would not be good. If the earth was form, formless and void, but we're there, things are going to go awry very, very quickly. That's not a good process. So that God did not do it that way. The first thing he did was create light. He arrived on the scene because God is light. Wherever God goes, light is there. And wherever God is not, we have darkness. Because God is light. That's an important thesis statement to notice. And it's, it began the very world that we live upon. So again, John says, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That needs to stick in our brains for what he's about to tell us today. Because if we don't understand that thesis statement, we, do, we don't agree with that. We're not going to agree with the rest of it either. That's a very important statement that John is making. Now, I have never tested this. Has anyone ever tested this? Candles have no shadows. The flame has no shadow. Shadow. You guys have tested it? Is it true? Yeah. Beautiful. Um, if you take a candle and put it against a wall, you will not see a shadow for the flame. It's a, it's a cool little object lesson because there's no shadow with light from the light itself. Now, of course, it casts shadow. You can see the shadow of the, of the stick itself and the light can cause that. But in the light itself... Notice there's no shadow for the flame. And I think that's an interesting illustration for God. That wherever God is, it's only light. It's only light. In fact, let's look at God's relationship with darkness. If you look through the word of God, if you read through, God has a <coughs> complex relationship with darkness. Every time God and darkness come together, we have issues. If you remember, the, the one that we call Satan or the devil, his name used to be Lucifer. And he used to be an angel in heaven. But Lucifer's heart turned to pride. He wanted to usurp God. He wanted to be God. And so what happened when Lucifer turned to pride and turned to darkness? God kicked him out of heaven. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There will be no darkness in God's dwelling place. Adam and Eve were created, the first people upon the earth, in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And what happened as soon as they turned to darkness? As soon as they turned to evil? They were kicked out of paradise and God cursed mankind. Because in God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you remember in the days of Noah, things had become very dark, very sinful, very evil. And after God was patient with his people, he, really, he eventually had to deal with darkness. And what did he do? He destroyed the world with a flood because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Sodom and Gomorrah, two very evil cities living for sexual immorality. What did God do with that, those cities? He torched Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. And it's interesting how he even did that. With light from heaven. Because in God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. But do you remember what happened when Jesus stepped on the cross? What happened to the sky? For three hours in the middle of the day, it went dark. Symbolizing the broken fellowship of God and his son. Because Jesus, although had committed no sins, he became, he stepped in the place of sinners. And when God and darkness come together, he turns his back. On darkness, Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Hell also has been called out of the outer darkness in scripture. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is, all, it is for those who love darkness and live in darkness and do not repent of that darkness. God has a very checkered past with darkness. We have to understand that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Our God is holy. He does not wink at darkness or sin or evil. 
He destroys it. He defeats it. In fact, let's just take a little bit of a journey and look at some verses about light. We're going to have to do this quickly, but it's going to support our thesis statement so that we can go forward strongly. Look at some of these verses from the scripture regarding light and darkness. In Romans 1, Paul is making an argument that people have basically gone their own way. They've rejected God. They've made a mess of their lives. And so he says in verse 21, Although they knew God, because you know that everyone knows God in their hearts, by nature, everyone knows their creator. Now, some admit to not know their creator. Their, uh, their creator. In fact, I found this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Atheism is a strange thing. Even the devils never fell into that vice. And it's true. It says in James that even the demons believe and tremble at the very name of God. So Paul says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. As soon as you take God out of the picture, what happens to your heart? Darkness. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When you suppress God, when you move away from God, you are in outer darkness. So basically, who turned out the light? Who turned out the light in our society, in our culture? You look around, there's a lot of darkness. Well, it's basically proving scripture. We want God out of the picture. The culture does. We don't want God. We don't want his rules. We don't want his the laws that he made the world with. We were going to destroy everything. We are going to recreate everything and, and make it our own universe with our own rules, do anything we want. And as soon as you take God out of the picture, what happens to the culture? Darkness. Because God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And we need to understand that. In Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. You ever thought about that with your eye? It's the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole, whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is basically saying whatever you look at with your eye, whatever you focus upon is what your body receives. If your, body is, if your light is focused upon light, focused upon God, focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ, your whole body will be full of light. But... If your eye, if your focus is upon darkness, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that is true, how great will the darkness be? Think about that time that you lived before Jesus Christ. What was characterizing your lifestyle? I remember mine. And the simple, basic answer, the bottom line was darkness. Now you take any of us, even if you put us in a very common room, a room that we're very familiar with, and you turn off all, all the lights, all of them, pitch black. You ever done that? You ever walk down a staircase or try to manage your living room and you're too lazy to turn the lamp on like I've done every now and then? Because and, I know the room. I know where I'm going. I don't need to go turn the light on. What typically happens? Yeah, I fall. I bump my head. I stub my toe because I can't navigate properly. In fact, if someone was watching me navigate a pitch black room, I think it'd be quite hilarious because I'd have no idea where I'm going, no idea what I'm doing. I'd just be fumbling about, groping about and trying to find my way but as soon as I have light, I navigate. I navigate clearly. Well, he says the eye is the lamp of the body. If you're focused upon light, your life, your body will have light within it. But if you're looking at the wrong things, and as a pastor, let me encourage you this way. What are you focusing upon? What messages are you sending to your brain, into your body, into your heart? 
Is it one of light? Is it one of God's word? Is this where you get most of your messages from God's word? Because there's a lot of messages out there. A lot of them. In fact, they're gaining popularity, gaining momentum. There are so many messages being sent to our brain in our culture. And sadly, many of them have nothing to do with light. And we need to be careful that what we focus upon is God's light. Because if we don't, our whole body can be full of darkness. And then how great will the darkness be? And that's a picture. I drew that heart. That's actually impressive for me. It doesn't look like a, a donkey or a giraffe or something like that. When I draw hearts, my kids are like, what is that? That took me nine hours. Uh, but I, it's, it's kind of a picture of what your heart would look like. You take God out of it. You don't focus on God's light, God's truth. None of us are that smart. None of us are that capable. If we don't have the light of God, we cannot function properly as people. We can't. We will go the wrong way. We will navigate to the wrong things. We will choose things that will hurt us. I can tell my children do this on a regular basis. If they don't listen to their parents' instruction, they can harm themselves greatly because God and, and mom and dad are all there to teach us truth and help us walk in light. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says this. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be too close a fellowship with unbelievers too long. Why, Paul? Why should I not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? The answer is they have none. They're polar opposites. Light and, fel light and darkness are two polar opposite things. So he says, be careful how closely yoked you are to unbelievers because that's not a working equation. Any time in scripture that seemed to happen, anyone went their own way and got yoked with someone who was not following God, typically the light went out and the darkness took over that relationship. So Paul's telling us they're two totally different kingdoms. We have the kingdom of darkness. We know who rules the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his minions. And we know who rules the kingdom of light, the Lord Jesus Christ and his followers. But they're two totally polar opposite kingdoms. These do not mingle with one another, okay? They hate each other. So Paul and God and Jesus are reminding us to not have close association and fellowship with the darkness. Now, of course, are we supposed to be in the world? Are we supposed to have relationships with people of the world? The answer is yes. But if we're spending our primary chief time around unbelievers, if we are yoked very closely with darkness... It won't be long until darkness starts to take over our lives. So that's number one. Light began the world. That's our first thing. The next one is the equation John gives us. The equation. He says in verse 6, If we say this, that we have fellowship with him, with who? Yeah. With Jesus. While we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, remember the thesis statement. He said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And now he tells us in verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, and darkness is not just the absence of light physically, it's also the absence of righteousness. It's the absence of God's truth. Darkness can be equated to evil. If we walk in darkness and claim to have fellowship with God, it's impossible. That's not a working equation. Okay, now, even if you're not good at math, I'll give you an easy one. What do you think? Two plus two. It's nine. No, it's not nine. 
Anyone confident in this one? It's four. Two plus two is four. John has given us this simple, basic equation, but it's one we have to understand because if we don't understand this, we can go awry spiritually. If we claim to have fellowship with the one who is light while we walk in the darkness, it cannot be. It cannot be, and we do not practice the truth because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, has anyone tested these equations? We just two plus two. I know that one. If you give me two and then give me another two, I'm going to have four. But what about E equals MC squared? Anyone tested that one? Is that one true? Was Einstein right? We don't know. Okay, good to know. <laughs> We're not that smart to figure it out. We'll just trust you, Einstein. E equals MC squared. But it's a working equation, right? There are equations that work. There are equations that don't work. Trust me. I did several of those in algebra class, too, and got wrong answers. But this is our thesis statement. In fact, if you remember how God created the world, he saw that the light was good. And what's the next thing he did as soon as he created light? What did he do? He separated them. Day and night. Day and night. Two different light sources. He said the greater light will be given for the day and the lesser light will be given for the night. They'll get some light in the night, but they will be totally different periods of the day. And you know what that's like, right? I mean, now we're in a great period of the year where it stays light till 8 8.30. But in winter, it goes dark around 4.30. That's a really hard time of the year, isn't it? Because it feels like the day's over. Mentally, even though you know it's 4.30 or 5 o'clock when the lights go out, it feels like the day's over because that's such a distinct difference between light and day. God, the first thing he did after he created light is he separated them. And that's a really important thing to know doctorally is that God and light, or God and darkness do not have a relationship together. He is the opposite of darkness. In Colossians 1, 13 to 14, Paul says this, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Did you once know that you belonged to that domain? So did I. You were in that domain and so was I. In fact, we belonged to it. And many of us didn't even think it was wrong. But Jesus came down and by his grace, by his strength, delivered us from this domain of darkness. And what did he do? transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He took us from the domain of darkness into the domain of light where we can think and navigate clearly. So if you are God's child, you can think clearly. You can live rightly according to God's light because you have the light of God. But prior to Jesus, nobody has it. The world's guessing. The world is guessing. Every single day they wake up and guess at the right way to go. And what happens when you guess? You're wrong often. You can sometimes guess right. You can sometimes be nice and kind and do generous things, but you will often guess wrong because you're guessing. You're in the darkness and you don't navigate properly in the darkness. But when the lights are on, you have a much better chance of walking correctly. And the first thing God did when he, del when he saved us is delivered us from that kingdom of darkness. He didn't just say, stay in the darkness. Your sins are forgiven you. I'll see you on the other side. No, he said, I'm taking you out. I'm taking you out of this kingdom, and I'm transferring you to another kingdom where you can think and act and live properly according to the word that I've given you. And this should remind us of something. In the story of Exodus, God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He didn't just speak truth and give them blessings inside the camp of slavery, inside the dark camp of Egypt. 
He brought them out. He delivered them. And he sent Moses to do that. And do you remember what he led them by once he got them into the wilderness? How did he lead his people? A really powerful scene. A pillar of light. A pillar of fire. Do you remember that? That's how God led his people. And it's a really powerful symbol for what we're learning today. God delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of light. And he did that for us as well. If you're in Christ, you are in the kingdom of light today. Praise God. And then several thousand years after Exodus, something profound took place. We call it the advent of the Christmas season. What happened? What did God send to this world? His son. And that son was going to be something profound for this world. He was going to be light. Light. And even the parallel of the star of Bethlehem hovering over the manger and baby Jesus is powerful for what God was doing there. He was sending light into the dark world because Jesus came and said, I'm looking at these people like they're sheep without a shepherd. They need my guidance. They need my shepherding hand. They need the light of God. He didn't just come to die. He came to show and to reveal and to give light and to cast light upon this dark world that we live on. And Jesus said himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Aren't you thankful for that truth? That you don't have to live the way you normally did growing up. I am so thankful for that, guys, because my lifestyle was miserable. I'm so ashamed of it. When Jesus came into my heart, yes, he forgave me. Yes, he cleansed me. But he also transferred me from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light so that I can function and think clear-headedly. Clear-headedly. With a clear head. I just created a word there. You go with it, right? I can think with a clear head, and so can you, because how? We have the light of God. The light of God navigates our path. Didn't it say that about the word of God in Psalm? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the light of this world, Jesus Christ, who came to navigate our way. So as a reminder, he says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, it cannot be, and we do not practice the truth. That is not a working equation. We cannot be in the darkness. We cannot walk in the darkness. We cannot practice and have patterns of those in the darkness and claim at the same time that we're with God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And John wants us to know that because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, take a look at that screen. What do you see there? Besides hatred. Yes, you see the Red Sox. You don't even see the other team. But these are what we call rivals. Now, I was a big-time Michigan fan, okay, for many years. Still am. Not as crazed, but I still cheer for Michigan. And you have to understand, as a Michigan fan, who do we hate the most? Ohio, Ohio State. In fact, there's a little chant that people say, oh, how I hate Ohio State. Now, I had one guy in my life who had a flag, and maybe it's similar to this one. He had a flag in his yard with both on it. And I went to the man one day all fired up, and I said, it cannot be. It cannot be that you cheer both for Ohio State and Michigan because they hate each other. They detest each other. In fact, the other one, they might hate each other even more. The Red Sox and the Yankees are not friendly together. In fact, the first time I was here, I had a Yankees hat on. And I walked down by that covered bridge down by the water, and someone 
gave me a look, and I took that hat off, and I said, I cannot be a Yankees fan any longer, <laughs> or at least not reveal it. My dad was a Yankees fan, so we cheered for the Yankees, but we're in Red Sox country. Are Yankees fans and Red Sox fans friendly to each other on baseball day when it's time to play each other? No. They're rivals. They're polar opposites. They hate everything about the other team. Well, here's another illustration. Now, I found a picture of this from the interstate, 91 either north or south. You're coming upon the road. You have two options. You can go north to St. Johnsbury, or you can go south to the White River Junction. But guess what you cannot do? You can't go straight. And you can't do both at the same time. No one has ever successfully gone north and south at the same time. Did you know that? You're either going north or south or east or west, but you're never going the two opposite directions at the same time. It's not a working equation. You can go north, you can go south, but you cannot go north and south at the same time. They're polar opposite. So John says this is not a working equation. In fact, he goes further in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, here's the other side of this, if we walk in the light, if we practice light, if we practice truth, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with God, with Jesus, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And that's very interesting to know. That in order to have assurance of our salvation, I'm going to say that carefully. I'm not saying in order to get saved, we have to walk in light. But in order to know that we're saved, we must be in the light. He says, if you're not in the light, there should be a problem. Because 2 plus 2 equals 4. The equation is simple. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if you want to know you're with God, where should you be? In the light. In the light. That's how you know. That's how God has built it. So that when you're in the light, you're assured and you're confident that you have a relationship with God and you know where you're headed. And in the darkness, you're supposed to question that. You're supposed to. Because it doesn't work. So he has built the proof of salvation into this system. And again, this is not how you get saved. I want to be very careful saying that. How you get saved is simply by believing in Jesus. And once you believe, once you repent of your sins, you are saved, and God gives you his Holy Spirit. But how do you know? Don't you ever wrestle in those periods going, am I really saved? Does God really love me? Well, he's built this system so that we know. He allows us to obey. He allows us to listen to his truth. He allows us to look into the word of God and say, I will obey that. I will practice that. I love you, Jesus. I will do what you've called me to do. And when you're doing that, the proof of your salvation, the assurance that you're a child of God is sky high. You have that proper fellowship with God. And when you're walking in error and truth, you don't feel close to God because you're not. You're not supposed to feel close to God in the darkness. And here's what we have, okay? And we used this screen a little while ago when Jesus was going to Judea. Remember that? To save his friend Lazarus from death. And they said, you can't go to Judea. That's where they were seeking to stone you. And Jesus said, I'm going wherever the light is. If you walk in the day, you're going to be fine because you have who with you? God. So regardless of the seeming danger, if you're in the light, who's with you? God. If you obey the truth of the word of God, no matter how scary the enemy makes it look, is it terrifying if God is there? The answer is no. Where's the real scary place? away from God. And in that scene, the disciples are seeking to talk Jesus into staying in safety. But God's will was that he went to Judea. So Jesus had to remind them that if we go in the light, we have God with us. And if we stay in the darkness, we don't. 
And what John is basically telling us that if you're saved at some time in your past, guess where it will always lead you? To follow God, to follow God's word, to follow God's commandments. If you claim to be saved and you find yourself over here, you're supposed to question that. And now what I'm not talking about is you can't ever slip and fall in the Christian life. Okay, that happens to all of us, even pastors. Every now and then we will flirt with the darkness. Every now and then we'll take a peek at the wrong path. What John is basically saying is if you find yourself living in the darkness, walking in the darkness, practicing things of the darkness, you're supposed to question your salvation. Because God's light will always lead you on God's path. Always. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son has cleansed us from all sins. That's how you know. In the light. That's how you know. That's how you know you're a child of God. You can do child of God things. You can practice truth. You can think with a clear head. You can listen to the word of God, the truth of God's word, and you can properly navigate upon this earth. Therefore, you know I must be a child of God because how could I do that without the light of the world in my life? So he says, walk in the light. Don't just claim to have the light. Walk in the light. Learn light, learn truth, and then navigate to it. Jesus says, come to the table and have fellowship with me. Those who love the light, those who want to be in the light, I am the light of the world. I have come for you. Come and have fellowship with me. So now, John is going to bring up something here. Have you guys ever heard of the term a swinging pendulum? You guys ever heard of that or even seen one of those ones on the desk that do that with the little balls? They go back and forth. That's a swinging pendulum. Well, John has basically just told us that one thing is impossible. It's impossible to know that you're a Christian, have fellowship with God while you walk in the darkness. So you know what's common for mankind when they hear something is dangerous? You know what we do? And it's natural. We run to the other side. We run as far away as we can from one danger to get away from another danger. And what we find ourselves doing is we end up going from one cliff to the other. So John is going to basically bring up this other possible danger that one could lead us into the other. We've just learned that walking in darkness is, is not a good thing. It's not something God has for us. Now, the conclusion could be made going, well, if that's true, if, if Pastor Todd, what he's saying is true today, then Christians must be perfectly sinless. Christians will have no sin at all. They will be perfect. They will be holy in every possible decision of their lives. Is that true? No, it's also not true. And we need to be careful of the swinging pendulum. And John's going to help us care for that last one because we're going to go to point number three today. We are desperate for the light of God. He says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, because that's an easy conclusion to make, if you realize that you're not in the darkness anymore and God's delivered you from the domain of darkness, we never sin. We must never sin. We must never do anything wrong. And John says, well, that's also not true. If we claim to have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us because that's also not a working equation. We live in a sin-cursed, dark world. We are frail feeble human beings and on occasion at times we break the commandments of God we walk in error we take a peek at the dark road we go back to our former sins and John wants us to be careful by basically saying well if we're not in darkness we're perfectly in light we must be like God already perfectly sanctified and John says that's also not true <laughs> um and so what we have and, and, and this is I've, this I've seen this happen before I've seen people go too far on the other side going well I'm a Christ follower, and therefore Christ followers, we don't sin. We don't make any errors. 
We live perfectly according to God's standard. And if you know your own heart, you know that's not true. Pastors even know that's not true about themselves. I do not live the perfectly sanctified life all the time. I don't. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I don't. I am not the fairest of them all. Now, back in the day, Jesus had a lot of encounters with people who believed this very thing. Who were they called? The Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they were the most righteous, pious creatures that ever lived upon God's worth. And so they had these interactions with Jesus all the time. Jesus like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the savior of the world. And they said, well, we have Abraham as our father. We don't need you, Jesus. We're not sinners. We're not in darkness. We have no need for you. We're already cleaned up. We're already buttoned up. We are already law-keeping people. We have no need for salvation. They had bought into the swinging pendulum. If we're not in the darkness, we must be perfectly righteous individuals all the time. And they often had interactions with Jesus and eventually killed Jesus because they hated what he was saying. And therefore, we have two cliffs that we need to be careful of. Two dangers. Not one danger. Claiming we're walking in darkness while we fellowship with God is a cliff that can lead us to a very bad place because it's not true. If you're walking in darkness, you should investigate your heart. You should sit down with your pastor, sit down with someone you love and investigate the possibility that you're not yet saved. If you're practicing sin, if you're practicing evil, if you're following the wrong path as a theme of your life, that's something to investigate. But there's another cliff. Claiming to be sinless in the Christian life until we reach the other side is also not a cliff that we're going to stay on very long. It's going to lead us somewhere bad. And that's what John is pointing out. So he says this in verse 9. If we confess our sins, the sins that we clearly have, the sins that sometimes we fall off the path, we don't do the right thing. If we own up to those sins, what's the promise from God? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can God do that? He's holy. In God is only light. There's no darkness at all. How can he forgive our sins? The Lord Jesus Christ makes that possible. The Lord Jesus Christ paid for every single sin that mankind ever committed or will commit. And so when we confess those sins, we have a perfect, holy, spotless lamb that can take care of those sins and wash our sins whiter than snow. But in order to find that cleansing, in order to receive that fellowship with God once again, we need to own up to our sin. Confess it. Confess that we're not doing as well as we think. Confess that we've had a bad week. Confess that we fell off the path. Confess that our practices and our themes and our speech has not been proper. And as soon as you reach out for God's cleansing, God gives it to you. That's his promise. If you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in Luke 18, we had sort of an illustration of this. And uh, we bring up the tax collector now, and we bring up another person very much like the Pharisee. In in, uh, chapter 18 of Luke, verse 13 and 14, it says, The tax collector, you have to understand, back in the day, the tax collectors were, people would consider the dregs of society. They were cheats, they were scoundrels, they were taking your money and putting it in their own pocket. So everyone hated the tax collector. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you remember what the Pharisee did? He prayed and said, God, I thank you that I am not like these tax collectors. I thank you that I am righteous and holy in all that I do. I thank you that everything I do brings you glory and delight. And the tax collector instead beat his breast 
begging for the mercy of God because he said, I am a sinner. And what did Jesus say? I tell you, this man, ironically, not the Pharisee, went down from his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you notice what the tax collector did that the Pharisee did not do? I need light. God, I'm not light on my own. I'm not good on my own. I am a sinner on my own. Please give me your light. And the Pharisee said, I don't need any light. I'm light on my own. I'm righteous on my own. And Jesus said, the tax collector is justified and the Pharisee is not. Our last verse, he says this, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now before he says, if, if we claim to have no sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. And now he says, if we say we have not sinned, now we seek to make him a liar, even a worse sin. We seek to claim that God is wrong. I'm not a sinner. God's saying I'm a sinner? Well, then it must be God who's wrong because I'm clearly not a sinner. Well, that is a very, very big crime. And, God, and he says, do not ever trifle with that sin. Do not ever claim that you don't need to be saved. Do not ever claim that you don't need God. Do not ever claim that you don't have light. You don't need light in your life. That's a very dangerous path to get on. Instead, be like the tax collector. In that way, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you understand that? I believe most of us do. I believe we understand that every single day we're in the need of God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's cleansing, God's light. I know I am. I, it's, it's ever apparent to me that without God, I cannot stand here and do what I do. I cannot be a proper pastor unless I have the light, the mercy, the grace, the strength of God every single day. And in fact, you remember the song, I need thee every hour. Remember that beautiful hymn? I need thee every hour, Father. Every hour I need your light. Please give me that light every single hour. So he says, do not claim that you're not drowning in your sin prior to Jesus. In fact, even after Jesus, don't claim to have no sin. Because you make yourself a liar. In fact, you claim that God is a liar. Because God has just told us from his word, we are always going to need his light. Always going to need his mercy in this life. And when you do, when you're faithful, and when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single time you reach out for God's mercy, after owning up to your sin, you receive it. And I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful for a second chance? Aren't you thankful for a thousand chances? I've had a thousand chances, thanks to God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And remember the thesis statement. This is the message we heard from Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus himself, and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Maybe you guys remember this game. My kids still play this game to this day, which I smile at a little bit. It's called sin. It's called the floor is lava. We actually changed it to sin is lava. Um, we like to spiritualize things in our house. But the kids love this game called the, the floor is lava. And so the concept is very easy. You have things on the floor or couches Things that are not lava and the rest of the carpet is lava and the concept is stay off of the lava so that you don't burn your little feet. And the kids love this game. Well, John is giving us a similar instruction. In John 12, 40, 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Do you know that's why Jesus came? So that we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. Because I hoped we've learned by now how miserable it is 
in the darkness. I don't want to live in the darkness anymore. I don't. I don't want to live selfishly anymore. I don't want to live cruelly. I don't want to live as a sinner anymore. I don't want to live that way. I want to do what honors the God. I want to do what pleases him. I want to do for the reason I was created. And if so, here's how, here's how I'm going to finish today. If God is light, and he is, he has no darkness at all, come out of the darkness. If you have not come out of the darkness, just like I did, just like many in this room have done, recognize that you're in the darkness without God. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And as soon as you recognize that you are in the darkness, you can come out of the darkness. How do you do that? You confess that you're lost. Now the first thing you need to do when you are lost is admit that you're lost. Is that true? Because when you're lost, you will reach out for those who can help you. A map, you will call someone, you will get directions. But if you don't admit your loss, which I guess is a very big problem for men, I've heard. Men do not like to admit they're lost. They will just keep driving until they figure it out on their own. I don't do that. I have GPS on constantly because I know that I'm bad at directions. But as soon as we admit we're lost, we can reach out to help. And that's what God is telling us today. If we're sinners, if we understand that we've broken God's commandments, if we understand that we're doomed without him, we're walking in darkness without him, guess what we can find? Forgiveness, cleansing from all unrighteousness. We can be saved this very hour. And I encourage anyone in this audience who's listening to this today, who may come to the conclusion for the first time, I'm in the darkness without Jesus. I'm in the darkness. I'm navigating in the darkness, and if I stay in here, I will be doomed. To simply reach out to Jesus. Call out to Jesus today, and you will be saved. Number two is don't look back. Do you remember anyone in Scripture who looked back? Remember that? Um, Sodom and Gomorrah was being torched and God gave very specific instruction to Lot and his family and said, when you leave Sodom and Gomorrah, don't look back. Why? Don't look back. Don't look back at the sin. Don't look back at the darkness. Don't look back with longing at something that I'm about to destroy. God hates the darkness. The darkness does everything it possibly can to harm us. And so he says, when you come out of the darkness, don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. What happened when she looked back? She turned into a pillar of salt. She was warned, don't look back. I'm going to bring judgment, severe judgment upon this dark, evil city, and I want you to go forward. And I don't want you to look back. I don't want you to, to gaze back at what you used to have, the practices and the friends and the themes that you used to have, and go, oh, it was so fun. Man, what a great time of life I had. Guys, I don't do that often. I often look back in great regret going, God, why? Why would I do such a thing? And God has made that so that we keep our eyes where? Forward. Because guess who's forward? Number three is stay near the only one who is light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The only way you can see Jesus Christ is by looking forward. Spiritually. I know we've done things we're ashamed of. I know we can look back and go, boy, there was a lot of good memories. There's a lot of bad memories. I know we can linger back there, but that's not God's recipe for walking in the light. He says, get your blinders on and look directly at him, directly at the one who is the light of the world. By doing so, you will be in light. You will follow the light of the world. You will have the light of God, and therefore you will walk the way God has directed you to. And the theme of our series in 1 John is for his glory and for our benefit. And light benefits 
us, and it also glorifies God. The light of God calls his people home where they belong. You ever really miss someone who you love? Someone you love been away from you a long time? What does it feel like when they come home? That's what happened when we came home. When sinners recognize that they're lost, when sinners recognize they're in the darkness and they reach out for God's light, do you think that glorifies God? When the people that he created, when the people that he loves, when the people that he sent his son to die for, do you think it glorifies God when those people come back home to his loving arms? I believe it does. But guess what it also does? It benefits us because the light of God is where we belong. It's home. And if you've experienced that light, if you've tasted that light, you understand this is exactly where I belong. Jesus, I belong with you. You belong with me. You created me. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my King. I never want to go back to the darkness ever again. And I hope that's your theme as well. God is light, therefore. And I want to encourage you today. I know we live in a dark world. I do. I know there's darkness all around us. And we often get angry because that's the case. And I don't think all of that is wrong. I think the world is deteriorating. The culture around us is deteriorating at a great, rapid rate. But I don't think the solution is to get angry. I don't think the solution is to say, how could they? Because how did we? What happens when you put someone in utter darkness? They go wrongly. They think wrongly. They act wrongly. What is the solution to darkness? The light of this world. The only solution to the darkness around us is not to complain and to shout at them angrily. The solution is for the same solution that we received, for the light of the world to come into our soul so that we can be little light sources around this dark community in New England and Littleton and the surrounding cities. Take the light of the gospel to the darkness and beam it and shine it. And when you do, lost souls can come home where they belong. I hope that's been an encouragement to you. Let's bow in prayer and give this to the Lord and ask for his help in walking in light. Father, we are so grateful for the light. And Father, I know where I was without your light and what a horrible experience it was to be in darkness. What a horrible experience it was to wake up one day and have no idea where I am. No idea how to get back. No idea how to rectify my life. But Father, for your light to come upon me in that season and say, Todd, I am the light of the world. I am light, and in me is no darkness at all. Follow me. Father, thank you for the light of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ who came to this world to save sinners, of who I believe I am the foremost. And thank you for the message of light today. Help us to walk in that light. And we thank you for the privilege of doing so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.